Hello and welcome to another episode of Build Back Better. Uh, now, many of you will be aware that we recently held a regional transport conference for Southwest Wales, which was an incredibly well attended event with wide ranging discussion on all the issues related to transport across our region. And one of the key talking points at that conference was the needs of rural communities and how those are quite different from the needs of urban communities in Southwest Wales. Um, so we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to a rural community transport organization about how they are helping communities across our region to tackle transport needs on a local community basis. So I'm delighted today to be talking to Rod Bowen, who is Community Transport Development Officer at the Clandisil and Pontwelly Line Community Organization. Rod, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Great to have the opportunity to talk to you as um, an established community transport operator in Carmarthenshire and Ceredigion. Tell us a little bit about the background of the organisation and why it was needed. Why was it set up in the first place? Thank you. This um, is the umbrella organisation. It's based in Kandisil. It was established probably about 30 years ago as a mentor um, to actually bring more community development into the area. Kandisil um, is a small town and it had some particular needs in, in, at that time, even though the needs are probably greater today than they were even then. And back in 2006, when uh, Commander's Country Council and the Welsh Government were looking at uh, establishing the Booker Bus services in the area, um, they did a, quite a wide-ranging consultation. And one thing that was highlighted, the transport in the area was quite a considerable problem. Um, so back in 2006, Clindisi Line set up Dolan Tyvee, which is the community transport arm of the organisation. And they decided to uh, test the water by operating their own community transport vehicle and um, the rest is history. So you provide a number of vehicles across the counties that are located in small communities and what sort of people do you transport? Um, yes, we've got uh, vehicles dotted around, um, I can't remember exactly, probably nine communities within uh, Kermanshire and Ceredigion. Um, and um, we, what we learned very early on was that um, the vehicles needed to be owned by the communities. In other words, they felt it was theirs. Even though we operated it, the community felt it was their um, vehicle. So the type of people that um, utilise our vehicles would be uh, groups of people from scouts, um, youth clubs, down to um, uh, local distributable, uh, or, or a variety of different organisations, mental health organisations, dementia, could be a wide ranging um, amount of people. Um, and that's what we really um, got our teeth into over the last six years, in the sense that we um, help these organisations get about to events, to um, activity, and also maybe to clubs and whatever. Um, as that developed, um, we found that there was this other gap where there was a, a need to take individuals to services and so on. So we've spent a small bit of the last three years developing those individual, more bespoke types of services. Would that include taking local people to hospital appointments and to services um, that they can't access? So people who don't own a car of their own? 
that's certainly the case. And um, what we've done over the last uh, four years is actually put smaller vehicles within communities, develop the capacity of the community to utilize it by training drivers, uh, identifying volunteer drivers um, in the first place, then getting them trained uh, to the correct standard. And um, then we arrange all the bookings, all the bookings come to us. Um, and then we um, uh, sort out the driver maybe and the vehicle and make sure that they can get to services such as hospital, doctor's appointments, opticians, could be even the hairdresser, it could be a bit of everything really. We could, anything that's basically looked upon as social journeys, essential social journeys. It's a real challenge, isn't it, for people living in very rural areas. There just aren't the bus services, let alone rail services, to meet those needs and if those essential services are located um, in nearby towns this was a, a real issue that was highlighted at our conference there's no way for people to to get to those things and do you think it's also a matter of tackling social isolation and exclusion it's certainly um, with social isolation is a huge problem bus services they, you know there's only a finite amount of money and um, there's only a finite amount of time to actually get to uh, to people to actually pick them up in a sense so um, what we find is that uh, there's there, there are many people for whatever reason but mainly where um, maybe somebody's moved into the area moved in exceptionally fit and young retired reasonably early 20 years later there's issues with health and so on and they've not really got the family infrastructures locally to actually help them get to um, to, get, um you know to the doctors or whatever that may be in a sense so we find that we find specialist um, transport more of a, a, a demand now in the sense that all our vehicles are fully accessible which means that um, we are able to people take people that have got limited mobility who may not be able to get in their partner's car or their family member's car um, and they need to be transported in a specialist vehicle so we're finding that a lot more there were examples quite a few years of that type of um, isolation purely because it just isn't that type of vehicle within our community or wasn't at the time to actually get these people and you know going to an appointment or whatever for your dentist or maybe optician was um you know not going to happen basically we could unless they came to um you know on site yeah so clearly meeting a massive demand and fulfilling an important function um how is a community transport organization like yours funded where does the money come from it, it comes from a variety of sources but um being in the voluntary sector as most people in the voluntary sector be fully aware you're always struggling for money um, because basically we could you're dealing with some of the most vulnerable people with the less least money in society and um, we've got to then address that by actually making sure that our services are addressing the social needs that a cost that's affordable to the passengers um, and um, so that's what we do. So we've got a mix of funding. 60% of it comes in from income generated from transporting people around because we pay for it. And the other 40%, which is the most difficult to get hold of, is through grant funding and different projects that we pull in over the years. And I suppose that's where your organisation has had to become really quite good at drafting those kind of grant applications and making the case for that funding and that's that's the huge barrier to entry i suppose for communities that are looking at this sort of provision so is my understanding correct that you work with smaller communities to help them apply for the funding that they might need to get a vehicle for local needs we were told many years back you know you to do much more partnership working and um, we hadn't realized what we were actually doing we were doing partnership working but we hadn't realized it 
And um, yes, so um, when um, an organisation such as Mind or whoever that may be, when it identifies a certain area that's got um, uh, an issue in getting um, to services or whatever that may be, or maybe localised um, um, information from community councils or whatever that may be, or just individuals, because we, we, we quite quickly identify hotspots, if that makes any sense. So yeah, what we will do then, and we've done it with we'll quite a few different areas, um, such as other or Llanelli, Camarthen, um, and many other areas, where we work quite closely with those, um, with, with those areas, identify the source of funding, um, look at the ground up approach and make sure that we've done the right consultation so that basically we call it, we, we've identified that true need, and then uh, we work up a grant bid. But um, what a lot of communities won't do is actually um, operate the vehicle themselves, because they haven't got the abilities maybe, or, get, or maybe the appetite actually get involved at that sort of depth. So what we consider ourselves to be is a, is a partner by becoming a facilitator. We manage it, we look after the vehicles, we keep it under you know, the um, correct maintenance regimes, legislation and so on. It's quite a close partnership. Yeah, and makes it then much easier for that community to have that vehicle available. So who drives the vehicles? Presumably you have a team of volunteers? Yes. Um, the, the way we approached it initially, we had um, we provided just group transport, which basically meant you know 16 people travelled in a vehicle. Quite easy um, to actually develop um, the volunteer base for that, because at each group that came to us, such as the scouts or whoever that may have been, um, you approached them and said to them, "Okay, yeah, no problem. We can we can utilise our vehicles as long as within our permit structure. And um, if you have any volunteers that you think that need training to be driving these vehicles." Please come to us and we provide that free of charge for you. And that, um, over the last four years, uh, attracted something in the region of, I think, about 825 drivers, so volunteers as such. Now, they're not all our volunteers. They're volunteers that will only drive for certain organisations, some of them, but some of them will um, cross over to drive for anybody. And what we find from that type of approach is, because when you look at a volunteer, a volunteer is giving up their time for nothing. Um, if, if I was to train a volunteer to my standard and um, charge him for that, that would be £110. And no volunteer in their right mind probably would um, want to pay that sort of money. Um, so by taking our approach, we've um, basically been able to find a good core uh, number of drivers and um, successfully keep a high percentage of them, but also successfully get a lot, uh, a certain percentage, say about 10% of them, to cross over to drive for anybody, which for the second um, tranche of operation we've got, which is the individual bespoke journeys, is exceptionally useful because obviously it, that's quite driver, volunteer driver intensive in a sense, because the, the person that you normally drive on an individual bespoke journey is probably not known to the volunteer driver, whereas the group 9010 is. That sounds like a brilliant model, providing the training and then, um, as you say, people are motivated to drive for their own local group and then they're available then hopefully to fulfil needs of other people they don't know. Yeah, and I'm sure it's a very rewarding opportunity as well for those volunteers to help out in that way. At our transport conference, there was quite a lot of talk about on-demand local bus services and responsive transport services. Do you fit into that category? Um, and what do you see as the, the future of this mode of organising transport? It's difficult really you know, to, to, to quantify it. 
whatever you provide is a cost based to it and that's the biggest problem individual journeys then would tend to cost you more than if you're taking a group of people it's multiplied by the amount of passengers and money that you actually um, uh, take into actually operating service and uh, and the problem for rural transport is because everybody's needs is different everybody's appointments at a different time and so on so collating all that and getting it all together is very difficult with, with the new model we've just adopted we've got where we're placing smaller vehicles within communities smaller electric vehicles by um, in, into communities, seven-seater, uh, fully accessible with a wheelchair. The community itself has got a, um, a sense of responsibility in taking individuals then maybe to the next bus stop maybe, or maybe just taking them direct to service, depending on the need of that particular passenger. The problem that is the system's not perfect in the sense we go into especially appointment systems in hospitals and so on. You may, um, you know, we, we do quite a lot of um, COVID vaccine, um, we go direct to um, vaccine hubs now, we go to, you know, the, the vaccine centres, and um, you may have one partner going at 10 o'clock and the other one at 3 o'clock, you know? even though once you get to the vaccine centre, they'll probably slot both of them at the same time. But the reality of it is, you know, that's a huge challenge for somebody, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, very topical as well, getting people to those appointments. And I suppose social distancing and all of that legislation has had an impact as well in the um, journeys and the number of people that you can transport. You mentioned before we came on air about electric vehicles and also car clubs. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. I think that's kind of a new area that you're working in at the moment. Yeah, um, two years ago, we were um, okay, we were aware of um, some funding to actually t- pilot more than anything else, electric vehicles, and uh, that was the uh, Brechtel Wind Farm uh, Community Fund. And um, we were exceptionally lucky that they um, saw that um, you know the project may suit their um, um, area of interest. So we purchased a fully accessible five-seater, fully electric uh, Nissan ENV 200. And being in a vehicle that can carry up to five passengers, but um, most likely it'll be one or two people normally in the vehicle, we wanted to make it as open as possible to the community, realising the Brechtford area has got a, quite a rural um, setting. There's very limited bus services, if any. And um, we wanted to um, also be good for the um, sustainability of the vehicle to actually get as much work for it as possible. So we investigated um, the car club um, element of it, which is basically you now opening it up to quite a wide range of people within the community. So basically, we take car club bookings, which basically we could slot in with the empty times that we've got for volunteer-driven direct-to-service, in a sense. Now, it's not an area of high activity in Brecha, but it's, it, it, it really helped us as a testing ground to see whether that sort of concept could work. And um, we found that it does work for us. And um, okay, so basically, the, the, the vehicle wheels are turning um, most of the day, um, but not necessarily all the day. It depends really on how the bookings and all sorts work out. Um, the car club element of it uh, is, is probably the most challenging because people's um, uh, needs are slightly different. With the car club, they, they may want to actually go to command and shopping and they may be there for four hours or whatever that is. So it's, it's, it's really getting a fairness and transparency in the booking system so that everybody gets as much as possible from it. That's really interesting. Car clubs came up quite a lot in our discussions at the transport conference 
it's the opportunity perhaps for people to think they don't need to own a car if they've got access to a car in the community. And it might be an area that we see growing over the next few years as more and more people seek to um, cut down their own kind of carbon footprint. And obviously an electric vehicle is a huge expense for an individual, but potentially for a community on a car club, car share basis, it could be an opportunity. So it'll be really interesting as time goes by to sort of understand the lessons that you guys are learning and what works and what doesn't work. Is it a software platform that people can book the car through or is it all done through your office? How do you manage those bookings? Um, currently at the moment so that we can manage it um, more effectively and get grips with um, um, you know, the needs of the general population because it's, it's great to speak, isn't it? Um, so you understand a little bit more about you know, the needs of that individual you know, when they do the booking. We do all the bookings in-house, um, even though we're exploring um, uh, working with uh, Core Wheels, which is quite a national um, car share uh, company, bike share and um, club, club uh, company. Um, so um, we're doing it at a local level to start off with so we can get grips with people's needs. And then um, the intention is to actually push it more across towards software at a later stage when we're comfortable that that is the platform that's required. But what we found from community development, I suppose, is that um, by getting to know the personalities, getting to know the people that you're actually dealing with and working with, you can then fine tune the product to actually, um, you know, do what they want to within reason. Yeah. That sounds like a great approach. And what about charging of electric vehicles? Do you operate the charging points as well? And is that a challenge in a rural area? Yeah, a challenge would be the, um, the underestimation of it, I would have thought. Local authorities um, and West Coast aren't really interested in rural areas because of the cost and the amount of people that actually utilise a charge point in those areas. So we've been putting our own charge points in. There's, they, they're 7 kilowatt, they're mid-range in a sense, but because of the way that we utilise our vehicles, vehicles are normally charged when they come back home to roost in a sense. So they've got enough time to actually get ready and topped up to somewhere else. But what we have also done, we've identified some key areas where those vehicles are going and put some charging infrastructure at those locations so that the driver, when they get there, can charge and top up, in a sense. Um, there's been a bit of a challenge because, obviously, we could, um, the platforms for charging vehicles are all different. And there's no real common standard. Um, and, um, you know, the, there's also this risk that when a driver turns up, i.e. say, for instance, from Clinton to Aberystwyth, that the charge point in Aberystwyth doesn't work. And that would be a disaster in an electric car. But um, saying that, though, we could, um, we've been working with the national company now on fuel cards. And um, so we've got electric fuel cards in the vehicles, as well as um, we could, um, you know, operating our own um, small network of rural charge points. Massive challenge, isn't it? And we're hoping to see much more investment in electric charging points across the region. But it is a, a difficult one because the demand isn't there. It's um, chicken and egg, I think, that particular challenge. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a chicken and egg. And, you know, for us, it's been a huge learning curve because there's quite a few national companies that will actually fit charge points in, you know, you can all grants and all that, all, all that sort of stuff that you're considering as well. There's not a lot of advice out there. Um, so we've had to really find out ourselves how we get these charge points. And, you know, you've got the telematics and so on that you've got to put into these units and so on. All of our charge points are um, public access. So basically, if somebody turns up in Bradford Village Hall or it's... Um, or whatever that may be, um, they are able then to um, charge their car up using a, uh, an app 
So all our car charge points are um, app-based and open to general public. Um, that was quite a learning curve for us because basically we didn't know anything about it and um, we needed to get to grips how we were able to reimburse people for the electric use and um, the, you know the rest of the things that came with it. It's quite a complex um, you know platform you know to actually manage and quite costly as well. You know once you put the charge point in, that's one capital cost. There's an ongoing charge then for getting the tele telematics and so on back to um, um, uh, ourselves um, through the companies um, such as Rolex and so on. Very steep learning curve. And one of the things that we're really interested in at For the Region is making sure we're all aware of who's already gone on these learning curves. So the other communities and individuals and groups that are thinking, right, we want an electric charge point, we want a car club, we want to start a community transport organization, that we're not reinventing the wheel, as it were, that people know who they can get in touch with for advice and just sharing what you've learned so it's great yeah. to have the opportunity to talk to you today rod and presumably you welcome that do you from other groups across the region to find out more from your experiences yes certainly do we get calls from just about everywhere to be honest they regret um for whatever reasons you know whether it's you know operating small minibus lights or whether it's um operating electric vehicles we've got no problem in sharing our experience you know it's um it's great to be able to talk to other people and other people also bring out new ideas to the table in a sense um so you know you know we, we welcome that and um you know it's the, the voluntary sector is a well-meaning sector but saying that we've got to be also innovative in the way we move forward so that we're able to um, address the needs of our rural communities but be totally aware of what those needs are in a sense rather than actually you know, looking for a self-funding grant, which actually keeps us in, in, in employment or keeps the organization going, is what really, what's really needed within our communities. Um, we need to listen and learn a lot more from those individuals. I think that's a really important point to end on. And I think that's come through very strongly in what you've said, is actually not making any assumptions about what mm -hmm. communities might need or what might work, but actually on the ground, talking to people, getting to know the local needs and being really in touch with the specific needs of different groups and different communities. And the appetite for sharing that wisdom then more broadly and sharing the benefit of your experience. So to our listeners, I'd encourage you, if you have got an idea about a car club or a community charging point or a community transport initiative, get in touch with us and we'll put you directly in touch with Rod and the Dolan Tyvee community transport team. Um, and let's hope that we can see much more of this sort of stuff happening across our region as we seek to decarbonize our regional transport infrastructure, but also better meet the needs, particularly of rural communities across the region. Thank you, Rod. It's been really great to hear from you. Fantastic work that you're doing. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks all for listening. Tune in again next week for another conversation from us here at For The Region. And in the meantime, enjoy your week. Bye for now.